Cooper Sunday. This year is super special to our family because if you know our family, if you know the Richardsons, we are all about two things. After God, after our family, after our friends, there are two great loves of our lives. And they are the Chiefs and Taylor Swift. So this year, them being together has been so meaningful for our family, has brought us so much joy. John has loved the Chiefs since he was little. Here's proof. This is an 88. And John and I both, don't let him fool you, it's not just me, have loved Taylor Swift since her first album. I have many memories of John listening to Taylor Swift all on his own, okay? He loves her. I love her. Our kids love her. Our kids love the Chiefs. So Taylor and Kelsey dating has just been and so this year, it's extra special for us. Go Chiefs. And when we watch the Chiefs games, we have certain things that we have to do and that we have to wear. John has many outfits to choose from. So at the beginning of the season, when it's not super cold yet, he either wears a plain jersey, this one, or there's this one. We even have this one for Christmas time. And then, separately, if he just feels like he's gotta get a good sweat in while he's watching a game, we also, have this. Now we're getting into the all-time favorites. His most favorite outfit to wear in the entire world is a sweatshirt with a jersey over. Okay, so this is the red on bottom, white on top combo. One of the top two favorites that John has. And finally, our latest addition, John's number one pick to the 23-24 season is our Kelsey jersey that we bought last year after we won the Super Bowl with our white sweatshirt underneath. It's the red on white, new hat. This is what he will be wearing today on game day. Then Dex has his outfits he has to wear. It's a Chiefs shirt or his Chiefs jersey, always his hat. Ivy now has a Chiefs cheerleader outfit that she wears that we believe is bringing good luck because ever since she's gotten it and worn it, we haven't lost. The kids also have to bring out all of the Chiefs trinkets and things from Dex's room, whether it's his penny bank, his calendar, any dolls. We have a Build-A-Bear that's Chiefs. We also now bring out our Taylor Swift gear because together, obviously, we are bringing the good luck and that is how we watch every Chiefs game in our house. And I would say there were many years where I wanted us to win just because I wanted John happy, but I didn't really care. But now over the last couple years, I feel like I actually really enjoy watching the game, kind of all football, especially the Chiefs, and now I've been watching every Sunday, and so, I actually like it. So you're saying you're somewhat of a Chiefs expert now? I mean, I don't know about an expert, but I feel like... How about we do some rapid-fire questions? These are not rehearsed. I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of questions, and you just give me the correct answer. Sound good? Sounds good. These really are not rehearsed. Okay. Who's our coach? Our coach is Andy Reid. What state is Kansas City in? It's in... Missouri. That was a trick question. You were trying to trip me up. Does Isaiah Pacheco play for the Chiefs? Yes. Does Rasheed Rice play for the Chiefs? Yes. Does Apollo Creed play for the no. Chiefs? No. Does Trent McDuffie play for the Chiefs? Yes. Who does Brock Purdy play for? The Niners. Name one defensive player on the Chiefs. Defensive. 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 Um. Um. What is the name of the Chiefs Stadium? Arrowhead. What is Karma? He's the guy on the Chiefs coming straight home to me. Does Franco Harris play for the Chiefs? No. Correct. He was born in 1950. 
Okay. Does Benjamin Button play for the Chiefs? Okay. Other than Taylor Swift, name another celebrity Chiefs fan. Eric Stone Street from Modern Family, my favorite show. Who is the most handsome Oh, Chief? and Paul Rudd. Who is the most handsome Chiefs fan that you know? Dex Richardson. And then second? Paul Rudd. <laughs> That's what I was hoping you would say. Oh, really? Yeah, I was hoping you would do that. I thought that was funny. Okay. We hope everyone has fun today at our salsa competition and just watching the game, being with your friends and your family. We know many of you are Niners fans. We have people in our family that are Niners fans. But if God can forgive you, so can we. So enjoy the game. Win or lose, go Chiefs. So today is a special day. It is Super Bowl Sunday, and you all know that I have an unhealthy attachment to a certain football team on the west side of Missouri. I get asked often, why do you like the Chiefs? And I wish I had a better response. I didn't grow up in Kansas City. I grew up in Illinois, where everyone around me was a Bears fan. But as a kid, I really liked the colors of the Chiefs, and Red was my favorite color, so why not them? And then as I got older and kind of fell in love with the game of football, I kind of just went crazy. Now, the Chiefs have been pretty good recently, in the recent past. And not only that, but their tight end is dating the biggest pop star in the world. So now there are lots of Chiefs fans um, around. But I was a fan when we hadn't won a playoff game since Joe Montana. I was a fan when Tyler Thigpen, Damon Heward, and Brody Croyle were our quarterbacks. Okay, here's me in a Steve DeBerr jersey circa 1988. Today I will be watching the game with my family. Not because I want it to be small and intimate, but because I know that they will not judge me and that they will still love me when I'm yelling at the TV screen. Uh, my wife is embarrassed by me, and there's only a few people in this world that are allowed to see me at my worst. And so to all of you 49er fans out there, good luck. It should be a really good game, but do me a favor, win or lose, don't text me, okay? That's not a joke. Don't text me. Now, before we get into the message this morning, I want to highlight our Love the World auction once again. Uh, last year was so much fun and there was just a ton of great food and tickets are now on sale and maybe you've got a Christmas present that you still haven't used or even opened and taken out of the package. You're not going to use it, but somebody else will. So donate it to our silent or live auction. All of the proceeds go to fund the amazing work done here in the Central Valley as well as in southeastern Africa. Okay, you're gonna hear more about that next week. Okay, Super Sunday is something that we have done every year as a church since we started in 2017. And it's just an excuse to kind of have some extra fun at church. And for this message, I get to speak on whatever I want, okay? It's my party and I can cry if I want to. And this morning, maybe it's the spirit, maybe it's just me, but I felt like it was right for us to focus in on the main thing. When I was in Malawi, Africa for six months, a friend named Kumbukani Fieri said this, the main thing about the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. 
Jesus of Nazareth is unparalleled in human history. He is a rabbi to the Jews, a prophet to the Muslims, an avatar to the Hindus, an enlightened one to Buddhists, the son of God to Christians, a wise teacher to secularists, the most interesting man in the world to historians, and a friend of sinners to the rest of us. As Christians, it is important for us to be centered on Jesus. And so today, I really believe it'll be helpful for us as we center our lives on him and make sure it's not centered on anything else, not a worldview, not a political party, not a religion, not rules. To be a Christian is first and foremost to be like Christ. This morning, my hope is that we center ourselves around Jesus and that following him would be the mark of our faith. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I still think today will be really helpful for you as you research and explore the life and teachings of this great historical figure. And you may find yourself being drawn to Jesus and perhaps even take your first steps in following him, okay? Or not, but time spent researching and learning from the most important figure in human history is time well spent regardless. What have been your impressions of Jesus? When I was young, my impressions of Jesus were formed by pictures and paintings. There's this one. I think that my family had this picture like in a small frame when I was growing up. And it's amazing how a painting can shape our thinking. And then there were some like this, okay? Jesus with small kids, kind of curiously from all nations of the world, in Galilee, wearing 20th century clothing. Uh, the 1977 film, Jesus of Nazareth, which has been shown to millions of people across the world, Jesus in this movie has blue eyes, okay? Also, he's white. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth wasn't white, and he did not have blue eyes. So who was Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth was a first-century Palestinian Jew. Of course, there were many Jesuses around because it was a very common name. The name itself means God saves. And there were lots of boys who grew up named Jesus, and that's why we call him Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? Nazareth was the town he was from. And so Jesus of Nazareth, in some ways, grew up like most first-century Jews did. Uh, he likely learned the trade of his stepdad, Joseph, who was a carpenter. And here's a historical rendering of what Jesus may have looked like. Now, the truth is, we do not know what Jesus actually looked like. But we do know he looked much more like this than he did this. We also know that he wasn't tall or handsome according to the culture, because Isaiah 53 says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus of Nazareth was born somewhere around the time 4 BC. The people who did the calendar calculations got this a slightly off. Uh, he was born just before the death of Herod the Great, which was around 4 BC. 
And then Jesus lived to around 30 AD, and we don't know the exact date of his death, the crucifixion, but 30 seems to be one of the most likely options. And the cultural, religious, and political climate to which Jesus was born in was an absolute cocktail of explosives. Now, today, we certainly live in divided times, but the cultures and worldviews at play during the first century were far more tense, far more divisive, and far more explosive. During the time of Jesus, the people of Israel were being ruled and oppressed by the nation of Rome, the Roman Empire. And there were several different Jewish groups explaining why the Messiah, the promised one, hadn't shown up yet and what the people needed to do to kind of get rid of Rome. Okay, these Jewish sects were very influential in first century Palestine. So let's talk about these Jewish sects for a moment. Let's talk about sex baby. The first century Jewish sects all had their understanding of the kingdom of God. First, there was the Herodians, and their motto was, if you can't beat them, join them, okay? Politics is power. The Herodians would have heard the kingdom of God comes through political power. You get the politics right, you get the right person in government, they make sure that they're doing the right rules and the right laws, and then the kingdom of God will come. Then there were the Essenes, okay? Very different. They were a monk movement. They returned to the desert and they just kept their head down. The Essenes would have said that the kingdom of God will come. Yes, but it will come you know, only to us, to our little corner of the world, hidden off in the desert, alone with God. And then there were the Zealots. The Zealots, their slogan was, fight for justice. The Zealots would have said that the kingdom of God will come when we fight against the Roman Empire. We gotta kill Rome. The Sadducees would say that the temple, the priests, the sacrifices, uh, the kingdom of God will come through correct ritual, religious ritual. And finally, the Pharisees. If they had a motto, it would be, follow the Bible. The Pharisees would say that the kingdom of God would come once everyone follows the rules of Scripture. The Pharisees believed that if they could get all of the nation of Israel to stop sinning, and to follow all of the rules for just two Sabbaths, just two weeks, then the Messiah would show up and rescue them from Roman oppression. So that's why the Pharisees would go around yelling, hey, stop, stop sinning, don't do that, put that down. We caught this person doing this. So there's these five Jewish sects that are super influential during the time of Jesus. And as Jesus begins his ministry, Everyone's trying to figure out which sect Jesus belonged to. Well, he sounds like a zealot in some ways, but they're about power and violence, not peacemaking and meekness. It's clear that he's not in a scene because he wouldn't bother even preaching to us. He can't be a Herodian or a Sadducee because they never use the language of the kingdom. That's too offensive to the Roman Empire. Maybe he's a Pharisee. Well, why is he then a friend to sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes? In fact, Jesus did not fit any of the religious categories of his day. Rather, his life and teaching directly confront these five sects. To the Herodians, 
Jesus would say that you need to exchange the politics of power for the politics of love. To the Essenes, Jesus would say, we are to be salt and light. We don't retreat from the world, rather we engage with the world and in the world. To the zealots, Jesus would say, peace is not the goal to be achieved by any means necessary. Peace also is the means by which we move towards that goal. Peace was the end and the means. To the Sadducees, Jesus signaled the end of the religious system altogether. Jesus brought about a new covenant, a new way to relate with God and with others. And to the Pharisees who say, follow the Bible, Jesus says, uh, follow me. Now, there's irony in this because today we learn about Jesus by studying the Bible, but we don't just follow the Bible as if Jesus was just one of the many characters within it. No, we need the Bible and we read the Bible so that we can better follow Jesus. There's a difference. This was part of the genius of Jesus. His life and his teachings confront all of the false worldviews of the culture that he entered into. It's almost like there's something supernatural about him. And it's true. Jesus was more than just a character in the Bible. Thomas Adams said, The Bible is to us what the star was to the wise men. But if we spend all our time in gazing upon it, observing its motions and admiring its splendor without being led to Christ by it, the use of it will be lost on us. God couldn't say all he wanted to say in the form of a book. So he said it in the form of a human life. Jesus is what God had to say. And Jesus is still what God has to say. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now this is a bit of an interesting phrase in Greek. It translates the Greek phrase that means the one who is in the chest cavity of the Father. The one who is in the chest of God. And we know what's inside of our chest, right? It is our heart. John is saying that Jesus is the one who comes out of the chest of God. Jesus is the heart of God shown to us. He has made him known to us. The Bible is like a treasure map that points the way to Jesus. But often Christians can treat the map as though it is the treasure itself. And when we do this, we miss the treasure completely. You see, if we get Jesus right, our worldview and how we are to live in the world becomes much more clear. You see, Jesus is still confronting the false worldviews of our culture. And a Jesus-centered worldview is so much better than an American worldview. A Jesus-centered point of view and an American point of view are not the same thing. Okay, so Jesus is a big deal. What's the deal with the cross? The death of Jesus on the cross is one of the most significant moments in human history. Why? 
What did it accomplish? How did a Roman torture device become the symbol of life, love, and God? Now, there are lots of ways that people have talked about the death of Jesus to try to make sense of it. Here's how it was first told to me. And this version is not altogether wrong, but I do think there's something off about it. And this, uh, this version of the story uh, begins in the 11th century when people begin to think of the cross in, in like legal terms. Okay, here's how it goes. We have a Super Mario Brothers chess set in our house, and so I borrowed some of the game pieces to kind of illustrate this version of the significance of the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay, this is Sinner Joe. Sinner Joe is represented by Mario. It's a me, a Mario. And we identify with Mario because he's a normal guy. Uh, he's got a normal job, he's a plumber. He has to overcome quite a bit. Okay, we are Mario. And then this is God. Okay, Bowser. God is represented by Bowser. He lives off in a faraway castle. He's strong, he's powerful, perhaps a bit angry sometimes. He's not bad, but powerful, strong. And he created Sinner Joe to have a relationship with him. They should be facing each other, worshiping God in an ending love and joy. But instead, Sinner Joe turns his back on God and chooses sin. Okay, th this makes God mad. Okay, he's very wrathful. He's a holy God. He can't relate to Sinner Joe in Sinner Joe's sinfulness. And so God looks upon Sinner Joe as Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God says. He looks at him as a loathsome spider dangling from a little thread just above the fire. And God's holy wrath burns against Sinner Joe. And so God's justice, God's righteousness, is ready to come down on Sinner Joe because of his sin and his rebellion. But just in the last minute, before he's able to stomp on him, Jesus shows up on the scene and he takes the beating that we deserve. Jesus comes in, represented by Princess Peach. Okay, She's wise, she's innocent, she always wants to help others. And God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. Jesus takes what we deserve and protects Sinner Joe from God's wrath and holy judgment. Jesus says, no, Dad, don't do it. And Jesus steps in and takes the blow that we deserve. Peaches, peaches, peaches. Now, God is okay now because at least his wrath had vented. And as the old hymn says, and on that hill where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So as long as somebody took the beating, as long as someone died, Sinner Joe is now okay. Now this is how many Christians view the cross, correct? It has become the standard in evangelical churches. And it's not all wrong, but there are some consequences to thinking like this. For one, Sinner Joe is gonna be thankful for Jesus, okay? We love Jesus. Sinner Joe isn't going to be quite so happy with the father, right? I'd like to keep my distance from the big guy. So you have this sort of schizophrenia in God in the minds of a lot of people, okay? Nice Jesus, mean father. Jesus becomes the buffer between us and God. A good cop, bad cop 
kind of deity. Another consequence of this is Sinner Joe is going to be thankful for Jesus. Jesus took the beating for him, but now he's thinking, hey, great. Okay, there's this legal loophole. Jesus took the punishment for my crime. Cool, that means I can't be punished for anything I do. And so Sinner Joe just goes right along sinning with his back turned against God, banking on the fire insurance that Jesus already paid for. So Christianity has kind of become a formula. As long as I pray this prayer and acknowledge what Jesus did for me, nothing else is required of me. And I can't, I can go on living however I want. And now I fit Jesus into my false worldview rather than Jesus upending all of our false worldviews. Okay, something is off about this. Something is askew. Was the cross really just solving a cosmic equation to assuage the wrath and judgment of a holy God? No. Because the Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father, not to endure the wrath of the Father. Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. There is not even a hint of duplicity in God. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Not that God was so mad at the world that he took it out on his only son. Jesus reveals who God is, what God is like. On the cross, Jesus isn't saving us from God. Jesus is revealing God as Savior. Something that we say often here at Prodigal Church is that Jesus didn't die because he was mad at you. He died because he was madly in love with you. There's just something about this Jesus. This rabbi from Nazareth 2,000 years ago in first century Palestine. There's something about Jesus. I've given my life to him. He's my best friend. He's my hope. He's my help. He's my hero. He's my savior. He's my liberation. He's my love. He's my Lord. And he's my life. And still, if I were to die one day and still be conscious on the other side of the grave and I were to discover that Jesus isn't real, I would have spent my entire life following the highest ideal that I know, which is love in human form. I would have spent my life being personally mentored by the one who helps me love everyone, shows me how to love God, to love my neighbor, to love myself, and to love my enemy. And I can't find this anywhere else, and I can't find this in anyone else. Jesus teaches the beauty of grace, the radical idea that God gifts us with, his love, his life, and his light, and that there's nothing I have to do to earn it. And it is a beautiful way to live in this world. If I were to one day find out that Jesus is nothing more than someone who teaches this ideal, then I am happy to dedicate my life to follow him. If that is all Jesus is, then that's enough 
but I think he's more. And I'm counting on it. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we center ourselves on Jesus. We thank you that Jesus reveals you in your love for us, your posture toward us. You are for us. You are with us. God, we pray that we become more and more like you, loving you, loving the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us on Super Sunday at Prodigal Church Fresno. If you are in the Fresno Clovis area and it is before 10 a.m. on Sunday, February 11th, come on over to the Bullard High School Theater. We've got a salsa competition, football themed service, um, taco truck. Uh, it's, it's Sunday fun day with the kids and there's a black light party. It's going to be incredible. We would love to see you in person. Next week, we can't wait, it's Mission Sunday. You're gonna hear all about our auction coming up and all the great things that God is doing in and through you and your generosity here at Prodigal. We can't wait. Enjoy the Super Bowl today. Go Chiefs and peace in the middle.